Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Claudia Monicelli with another episode of Multiple Voices. My Multiple Voices podcast, true to its name, includes different series. For example, we have the Voices of Love, where we discuss relationships, the voice of empowerment, the voice of laughter and play, the voice of pleasure, and the magical voice of archetypes and how they change the way we live. But we also have the voice of memory that includes everything from history to discussions of past life regression. There's also writing voices where we interview both seasoned writers and authors who have just started getting their feet wet with writing and we learn what can work for you as potential writers. Our series called Voice of the Spirit discusses different forms of spirituality and religion. And then Channeling Voices is a series that covers what happens when you channel, but is also extended to mediumship. Take a moment to review this podcast if you've enjoyed listening, and leave a hearty five stars. I'd appreciate it. Enjoy your listening. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with another episode of the Multiple Voices podcast with Kate Walenga. Kate, say hello to our audience. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah. Kate is in Salem, Massachusetts. Hmm, that's always a mystery. It's always been a mystery, Salem. I've never been. But um, let me introduce you so you know who who she is. Kate is a forensic psychologist, and that's quite unique. It's a new sort of profession. Maybe you can tell us and how, when it was offered as a profession, how, how many years ago. And... Um, she has also turned into a podcaster as well. She has her own show. It's called Ignorance Was Bliss. And um, then what else? She has no rules. All right. Now, I like this woman already. <laughs> she has no rules. And so she didn't want to pigeonhole herself in just one genre. So he chat on the show, she chats with a wide range of people, wide range of uh, topics as well. Um, let me ask you first, tell us who is Kate Walenga? Mm, I always like to know, well, how was high school for you? That's those probably the worst years in a person's life, adolescence. What were you like and where were uh, you? I, I grew up in upstate New York and ah. high school was awful. Yeah. Uh, both of my parents, in their different ways, were unhealthy people. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I had some social stuff, we'll say, mm-hmm. that, that wasn't great. And so I lucked out because at the end of my sophomore year, beginning of my junior year of high mm-hmm. school, somewhere in there, I learned of a program in northern New York that allowed me to combine my senior year of high school with my freshman year of college oh how so nice. i escaped yes i escaped but where was early. that where did in clarkson that i went to clarkson, clarkson. university mm-hmm. for my okay. undergrad uh-huh. which is an engineering school and uh-huh. i had no special interest is that in kodak country is that near kodak country kodak i mean no, rochester kodak new york is rochester new york which is rochester. where my, my husband is from that's western New York. Uh-huh. Okay. This is you know. So New York State is like a backwards uppercase L, and yes. so Rochester mm-hmm. would be on the t- sort of midway on the horizontal part of the L. Yeah. And Potsdam, where I went to school, is on the very tippy top of the vertical. 
Ah, uh, okay, so okay. The closest cities were Montreal and Ottawa. To the city. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. So yeah. now you have this, uh, you work that out. You put the last year, the first year, and then you started. What did you study then? It was well, I, I started studying engineering because it's an engineering yeah. school. Yeah. I'm decently good with computers and technology. I didn't much like it, but Potsdam being as far north as it is, it's dark all the time. It mm-hmm. snows from about October to May every year. Yeah. Oh, and Jesus. so, you know, people are miserable. It just sort of seemed like the thing to do. And my junior year of college, I got sick. I got a kidney infection. Oh. And this is in 1994. And Uh so back in the day where people read paper books when they were stuck in the hospital. Right. And someone brought me the book Mindhunter, which the Netflix Ah. show is based on. Right. And it's about profiling in the FBI. And I thought, interesting. This guy seems to like his job. I'd like to like my job. I think I want to try this. So I ended up taking a medical leave that semester. And when I returned, I dropped all of my engineering classes and graduated ultimately as the only psychology graduate of my class of 1995. And so from there, I went on to, I studied, I got master's degrees in criminal justice and mental health Mm -hmm. counseling and went on Mm -hmm. to get my doctorate in clinical psychology. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It's interesting. Um, psychology, clinical psychology, especially, but psychology in general in the United States is something you could slit your lip, your wrists uh, getting into in terms of, um, I, I don't know what to call it, actually. We have registers, boards taking a national exam or a state exam to become a psychologist. I'm not sure if it was that bad when you finished but today it's uh it's people just change what they're studying it's just so so difficult it's a very closed knit uh profession i think it depends on the state the yeah, probably. Each, each, different states have different boards for it yeah. mm-hmm. and it didn't i mean you do what what you feel like you need to do to get yeah. the job that you want mm-hmm. i a lot of being so i the book and show Mind Hunter. That's about profiling, and right. I initially was going to go into profiling. I re- I interviewed with the FBI. Can you tell us exactly what I'm, profiling is for our audience who don't know? What yeah, I'm is. getting there. Yep, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, because people don't. People don't. And and so profiling is if you if you believe that there's a series of connected or even a single really unique crime and you put together assumptions about who would have done this thing and yeah. try to go put together a uh it's like, sort of like the the paperwork you might fill out at a doctor's office with demographics right. except right. without the name on top and you put together that paper and then you give it to the local police and you say here's the information about the person you go find the name on top right and I was initially going to go do that. But first of all, there are aspects of being a profiler that didn't fit with the lifestyle I wanted to have. For example. Uh, for example, you have you you become a law enforcement official and mm. you work as a plain old FBI agent for usually three to five years before you have the opportunity to get involved in the behavioral analysis unit. Mm-hmm. I was not comfortable with having a gun in my home. Mm-hmm. I wanted kids and I'm yeah. not pro-gun. 
myself. <laughs> so that was part of it. Also, in order to become a profiler, you have to be prepared to travel about 48 weeks out of the year mm. because you don't want to live in a town where they have year-round serial killers for you to profile. So you have to right. travel around the country to find them. <laughs> and again, I wanted to be a mom as well. I had my first child at 22. So oh. between those two things, I decided, okay, can't do that. Can't do the profiling thing. So instead, I went into forensic psychology, which is effectively any form of psychology that also has an involvement with the criminal justice system. Mm. So sometimes it's pretrial, deciding yeah. whether someone is competent to stand trial, what their diagnosis is, that sort of thing. Other times it's post-conviction. You help figure out the best place either within the prison or which prison for them to be placed at. Or sometimes you work in a prison to figure out how, how, how's everybody doing, you know, and, yeah, and yeah. is anybody sort of on the edge of things and what can I do? You know, it's, it's a lot like what I use the word normal loosely here, but what a normal yeah. psychologist would do on the outside. I yeah. never did therapy except mm -hmm. what I had to do for school because I'm terrible at it. So <laughs> instead, I just don't have the patience. You know, you have to, yeah. to be a good therapist, you have to really go at the pace of your client. Mm -hmm. And that's a very deeply important and valid skill that I don't possess. Oh, I understand perfectly. Let me ask you, is it basically a man's world? Very or... much, very much. I worked in a men's prison for several mm -hmm. years. And then even when I went, so af after about five or six years in the prison, I, I changed to work in crisis work, which is in the emergency room yeah. or people's private homes or in offices, that kind of thing, yeah. schools. Both of those tend to be male dominated fields. Okay. Okay. But so was, so was engineering. I always sort of got used of to it mm -hmm. and you just sort of, you learn how to play with the boys. Yeah. Yeah. Play with the boys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know why um, it's so interesting to me to talk about forensic psychology? Because the first thing I thought of when I read about you, when I saw that possibly you might be coming uh, on my show, is that this is a great background to have for novel writing to get stories on a page, you know, say uh, the main protagonist could be, you know, Kate Swift, the forensic psychologist, and she gets in it. And you, you know, because you have all of the scientific background and the language has to be particular, you know, did you ever think of that? Kind of, but in, and I have two simultaneous thoughts, which I do a lot. Um, one, one is that having been so steeped in the career and in the field for a long time, I don't suspend disbelief very well anymore. So uh, I'm not wait, 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 stop, stop. When you say don't suspend disbelief, couch that in more precise terms. Give us that's a, what I'm doing. Yep. Okay. That's what I'm doing. Is, <coughs> is, I'm not good at if they get a detail wrong, whether it is on a TV show or in a movie or in a book, it, small details, I'll let go. No mm -hmm. big deal. You know, uh, the wrong jargon for a diagnosis, something like that. That's fine with me. But there are shows, uh, for instance, Criminal Minds. 
yeah. relies very heavily on one specific trope in multiple episodes. And that yeah. is that they go and visit a bad guy in right. a prison, which right up front bothers me because yeah. a lot of the people in prisons are fantastic people who made a mm -hmm. big mistake. Right. But they'll go and visit a bad guy to figure out their mm -hmm. thing. And the bad guy will tell them some piece of information that's necessary for what they're doing. Right. And they pull out their cell phone to call their team or their <laughs> boss. And that makes me insane because you know who has cell phones in prison? Only the inmates. They have contraband <laughs> illegal cell phones. That's it. Employees, CEOs, even the warden, they don't have cell phones. You're not allowed to. There's yeah. a little, you know, like the the little pigeonhole mailboxes. Right. That mm -hmm. you said, that's where when you go to work, if you forget mm -hmm. to leave your phone in the car, you walk in, you stick your phone in your little mailbox, and then you go through the metal detector. Mm -hmm. Staff don't have that. Mm -hmm. So whenever I see things like that in, in shows or books, I'm like, that's not how it works. So <laughs> one problem is that I'm so steeped in details like that, that I mm -hmm. would, I think, make it either too wordy or too dry to try to explain like here's why this wouldn't happen uh -huh. and 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 so like i understand why they do it on criminal minds they cut out mm -hmm. some some time and they yeah. go to a you know everybody understands what it means to have a cell phone and what it means to make an emergency call and so it's easier for the audience yeah. i get that but i struggle with that another issue is that i have a history of traumatic brain injury uh -huh. I spent a week and a half in a coma in 2010 mm. due to complications after childbirth. And then oh. in 2016, I developed epilepsy. And so mm. both of those That's in their uncommon, way. isn't it? It is. Uh, that it, it is. Comes in, it was in my 30s. Yeah. Yeah. It was a week. You know, people uncommon. are usually either born with it or yeah. develop it later. I, I'm just, I'm a medical mess. Like I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. And so with that, the, literal physical process of writing is yeah. very difficult for me and mm -hmm. that is why i started podcasting rather than yeah. writing yeah yeah sure 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 but uh, obviously my question was directed to you uh would you consider writing now there's so many ways you can write and you know that you can dictate your your content obviously and it's you know typed up on your there's you have to edit it, of course, but there's. Um, I'm hoping that in the future you would consider that more closely. I don't. And I don't know if you're giving enough credit to the seriousness of a TBI. No, honestly, no, no. That, I am. That it, it, the the process of writing requires a long term form of thought and an organization, obviously, of words that I I I wish that I had. You know, I, oh, I'm, I'm see what you're saying. That I would love to tell, but I've kind of had to let that go a little mm -hmm. bit because it was such a frustrating. It's a process. I mean, process it is a process. I'm a writer. Mm -hmm. I know what writing is. But if, um, well, it's just a thought to keep in the back of your mind because you know it's a long road you're going to travel down. You never know where it'll end up. But uh, because mainly. Because these stories, like you yourself said, they aren't told from the desk of. And it would be wonderful if you, you know, could 
open your desk too, you know, or be a consultant for that kind of thing. That that would be really interesting. Um, let's let's play a game. Um, so you're just finishing your degree, right? You're back and you just finished your degree or last exam or you're about to get your degree. Um, what's in your head? Have you had had you at that time thought of what would be cool for you to do? What if you could choose exactly the type of work, irrespective of your disability or what has happened to you? If you could choose, what would that be? I, I mean, I think I got to do it. I was mm. very lucky with that, mm-hmm. that, that I got to spend most of my 20s and my early 30s doing the work that I wanted to do. I, I've never been stuck isn't the right word, but let's go with it for the moment. I've never yeah. felt dragged down by the things that I can't do. I'm more prone to, okay, that's not a thing I'm good at, or that's not a thing mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with, or that's not a thing I'm able to do. What can I do instead? How can I use what I have instead? Mm-hmm. And so starting the forensic work was very much a case of, I don't feel like profiling is the right answer. So we're going to take a little bit of a turn and I'm going to mm-hmm. use the things I've already learned, but from a different perspective. And then when I sort of literally lost the ability to write and yeah. to tell coherent mm-hmm. stories. I started thinking, well, what, what, what can I do? And one of the things that I could do was still sort of explain complicated topics yeah. in layman's terms. And that's ultimately how the podcast ended up. And I have served as consultant on other podcasts before mm-hmm. and other writing works before mm-hmm. when someone says, how, how does this work? What is this like? Mm-hmm. What does schizophrenia mean? Or what does it mean to be not guilty by reason of insanity? Those are things I know. And so mm-hmm. I've been very lucky to still use them. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your podcast. Um, there is, I'm going to, in the description of the episode, of course, I will write the name of your podcast ignorance was bliss now what why ignorance was was bliss why that name well it started as a true crime podcast because yeah. they tell you they whoever they are tell you write about what you know talk about mm-hmm. what you know mm-hmm. and i listened to a lot of true crime shows wait a minute wait a minute uh, kate what is the difference between true crime and fake crime i mean Crime is crime, isn't it? Or not? I know. I hate the okay. terminology. I, I really do. But true crime is the name of the genre okay. for, for writing and podcasts. Okay. I see. And so it, it's meant to differentiate between some form of fact-based information as opposed oh. to outright fiction. Okay. I get it. I get it. And so the the... the the opportunity to sort of explain to people like this is schizophrenia, for instance, this is what it is not. And Uh this is what it is. That was delightful for me in a lot of ways, because I think that information needs to be out in the world. Uh And so being able to find ways to still use the things I, I do have and the skills I do have has been a lot healthier for me, I think, than pounding my head against a brick wall and, 
you know, resenting mm-hmm. the things I don't have. Well, you, you mentioned now schizophrenia a few times. Let's talk about some of the episodes that you really, really liked. That that would be you know, an early one, and that's that's I guess where I, I sort of I derailed myself a bit, and I apologize. But so early on, okay. one of my earliest episodes is about schizophrenia to uh-huh. set up for a lady later episode uh-huh. with a uh, about a true crime story that involves someone who had been diagnosed with it. And so my show started in that genre because that's what I knew. Uh-huh. The problem is the the true crime genre. Of podcasting isn't especially healthy for In like there are way? some excellent there's there there are some really excellent true crime podcasters yes. i want to get that out of the way but there are others who uh they get a, a bit gatekeepy about what is true crime and what isn't and i'd be like you know give me an example because i'm not following very you know what would not i was told my show wasn't true crime enough because i was busy explaining how is it that someone would come to do a certain thing or what is what is this you know what does it mean to be not guilty by reason of insanity or competency uh-huh. to stand trial like i would i'd be explaining that side of things mm-hmm. and people would say to me that you no know, true crime means you're telling a narrative of a crime yeah and my response to that would be like okay but see i've worked in a prison and so i feel like i know you know, I have I have some ethos here. I have I have yeah. some study behind it, and all due respect to yeah. other people who create yeah, yeah, podcasts. But they've never even been inside a prison. They've you know they're, sure. they're getting their information There's from more Wikipedia. Journalism, uh, yeah, that rather than even that is a little a little farther than some go. Like you know, journalism implies some legitimate research and yeah there are people who are just like you know what i'm gonna drink and i'm gonna call the bad guy bad names and that's my podcast no come and on i'm no. not making this up i don't believe I it absolutely absolutely i don't swear believe it. it i wish i was kidding honestly well, let's let's and, just say there I, are a lot of podcasts out there <laughs> and well and i would say probably half of the true crime ones out there are are involving some form of alcohol and some form of giggling with friends about how Mm, terrible the bad guy was. Mm -hmm. And that, I don't want that. I don't want that censored. I don't want that Mm -hmm. canceled. I want people to create the shows they want to create. Sure. But that's not for me. And I was starting to get people say to me, what you do isn't really true crime. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. In public or on the show? Both a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so my decision was, again, rather than bang my head against this brick wall and try Mm -hmm. and force the genre to accept the legitimacy of what I knew and had done, instead I was like, okay, I'm going to pull the lens back because what I really love about podcasting is connecting with people, Mm -hmm. is the opportunity to talk to people. Exactly. And so I'm going to... I'm going to still talk to true crime creators and writers, but I'm also going to talk to published authors in other genres and actors and, you know, really anybody who wants to come on my show in large part, because that's the fun thing is Mm -hmm. connecting with people and learning their story. And so I went from pretty solidly true crime more into, I consider it like being a story collector. And I feel like if you can understand 
what it is like for someone to have chronic anxiety or to be a parent or just to sort of generally develop empathy about mm -hmm. anything, then I can take it the next couple of steps for you to understand what it would be like to murder someone or to mm -hmm. be a serial killer or the like. Mm. So ignorance was bliss, meaning yeah. didn't you feel better before you knew that? Right. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Good. Now, now it's, it, I got it. <laughs> But um, as you're talking, I'm thinking of so many things because, all right, let's say when you were ignorant, was that before you moved to Salem, Massachusetts? Where does Salem figure in where you're living now? Salem is cheaper than Boston. That oh, is the okay. basic answer. Uh, it it's we're about 10 me. miles away. Is South? Or west? we're north. We're we're north, we're, okay. uh, slightly northeast of Boston, about ten miles away. So sometimes that's only about a half an hour drive, and sometimes that's an yeah. hour and a half. No, but I mean, why that area? Did you grow up in that area? But you talked about. No, I grew up uh, in upstate New York, but yeah, I right. went to grad school in Boston, downtown Boston. Uh -huh. I lived in downtown Boston for a while, but then mm -hmm. when my now husband moved out to the area to join me, we couldn't afford. Uh -huh. Boston yeah, yeah, reliably yeah, yeah. and so we kind of looked around at where's got a place for the apartment so we could afford and we ended up in Salem mm -hmm. and it's been fascinating to live in a tourist town that's not a it is I'd a tourist done. town yeah it is well especially because the the witch hysteria didn't happen here no well didn't happen in Salem didn't didn't it but, happened in a different town altogether but in a different country too. I mean, the witches no, are no, all happened, over the world, right? But but when yeah. they talk about the Salem yeah. witch hysteria, they mean a place that was called Salem Village, mm -hmm. and where I still where I live now was called it was called Salem Town. Mm. And after the witch hysteria was done, the town that was called Salem Village sort of looked around and went, "Oh, yeah, we uh we just murdered twenty five innocent men, women, and children." and stole their property that's not a good look let's um change our name so they're danvers now that's the town of danvers and that's where it happened the only things that actually happened in what is still called salem is where one of the old jails was and it's where gallows hill is although what's gallows, gallows hill it's where they were hanged oh, okay Okay. And that wasn't, that's where all prisoners, all, mm -hmm. all convicted prisoners were hanged at that time. We didn't confirm, I say we, you know, people right. who live in Salem didn't Locals. confirm that the, that those accused and convicted of witchcraft in 1692 were hanged on Gallows Hill until 2015. Uh-huh. So we didn't really know. And, and so now we have all of this tourist traffic, especially in October. People come out the whole month of October Halloween. leading up to Halloween. Exactly. Yeah. And it gets frustrating at times because you get, you know, cute people from the middle of nowhere who show up and mm -hmm. wear their little floppy witches hats and yeah. they think it's fun and cool. And I'm like, you're memorializing murder. Yeah, that, that yeah, is yeah. that is what happened. I know a couple of witches, local witches in in Salem. Um, I had things to do with them for uh, something I personally was doing, and it's very difficult the communication with these local people because unless you, it's it's like 
Another area of the United States is Louisiana, New Orleans, that has its whole aura and its whole religion, really. Salem, too. And they're very, very protective of their turf. Unless you live there, can you know? Can you work there? You cannot go work with them or be part of their group. And I thought it was so, so funny. But it is. It's a tourist attraction, and a lot is a tourist attraction in, in New Orleans as well. But um, this is part of culture, I guess. I find it as being superficial culture, but but it is as as deep as it can be in that area. Um, so you yourself had nothing to do with the witch culture in that era. You have nothing to do with that. Do you? That's a question. <laughs> it's a question. Um, in ways, in ways. Um, I do not, I don't practice any organized religion myself, mm -hmm. but I have a tremendous amount of respect and mm -hmm. have been allowed to attend some rituals and the uh -huh. like, uh, both the pagan, Wiccan, mm -hmm. neo-pagan, earth-based mm -hmm. type religions. I've yeah. also been allowed to attend some of the satanic rituals. When you say happen. you've been allowed to, uh, what do you mean exactly? That I am an outsider and mm -hmm. I've been invited into it's sort of the equivalent of like, I've never been Catholic, but I've been allowed to attend Catholic mass. Uh -huh. um, things that are put on by Wiccans or pagans are sometimes quieter because they don't want to be seen as a right. tourist attraction. Right. And likewise with the, this, the, with the satanic temple in Salem is beautiful. It's mm. an art museum. And if you spend some time actually reading the, the equivalent of the commandments, mm -hmm. the, the tenets of, of mm -hmm. Satanism, they're very respectful. They're very much about consent and bodily agency and treading lightly upon the earth. Like it's an earth-based religion, very much like paganism. And so mm -hmm. being allowed to show up and show that you respect their beliefs, regardless yeah. of where you fall in them, is an honor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, interesting, interesting. Kate, I'm so happy that you had, took the time to come and talk to us about to a topic that is not very well known. And even when we hang up, it still isn't well known. It's something that will hopefully um, be clearer and not only through criminal minds or things like that. Because um, there's a lot to be learned from from the dead, period. There's a lot to be learned from a crime and a crime scene and the psychology of what moves someone to commit certain crimes in certain contexts. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Thanks again. And for everyone, her podcast is... Ignorance was bliss, and on all social media platforms, it's at IW Podcast. Is that right? IWB Podcast. Oh, IWB. Like, ignorance was bliss. Ah, yep. ah, ah. I, uh, it's, there's no B here. IWB Podcast. Okay, good, good. Even Instagram, right? And Twitter. 
If I have to, like I rarely do Instagram. Like, <laughs> I know, I, I know. If I have to. Instagram, it's, it, it, there's an art. Once you get in there, it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks again. Bye-bye, Kate. Thank you.